You're listening to the Forefront Church Podcast in New York City, where our vision is to see lives, neighborhoods, and our city renewed through Jesus. All right. How many of you would have skipped puberty? (laughs) Go ahead, raise your hand. How many of you would have skipped puberty? A couple of you? I would have. It was awful. Um... I went through puberty really late, too, like eighth and ninth grade was when I went through it. Um, the good news, I, uh, I grew from five feet to five feet six inches in like six months. The bad news, I really didn't grow after that. <laughs> like it just sort of stopped. Can we turn me down just a little bit? Cool. Um, yeah, it, it was a terrible time for me. It was really awkward. Um, <laughs> here's my story, right? Puberty summed up in a story for me was I was, sitting in, um, I was sitting in music class. In music class, you have all like, different grades there with you. So I'm sitting there, and there was this girl in music class that was really, really pretty. And I uh, you know, had joked around and talked with her before. And we were sitting in music class, and she goes, you know, John, she's like, I really, really like you. And I was like, thanks. And then I turned, and I started doing something else. That sums up puberty for me. <laughs> Awkward, confusing, not really knowing anything catching any cues, any of that. That's it. Um, I would skip puberty. You know what would happen if we skip puberty? You guys know? What would happen? Humanity would die, right? Humanity would just die off. It would die off because uh, we have to go through puberty in order to reproduce. It's one of those things. We have to have it happen. And so uh, uh, we have to go through this like crazy, awkward, impossible, where we don't catch cues of girls who might like you kind of life, right? We, we do that um, because at the end of the day, it allows us to flourish. It allows us to get better. It allows us to be human. It allows for the flourishing of humanity. So that being said, and knowing all that, you know what? I'd still skip it. I still, I still wouldn't do it because I don't want to do all the gross stuff. I don't want to do all the hard stuff. I don't want to have, to have to deal with any of that. What I'd rather do is just take a shortcut. That's what I'd rather do. And my guess is that there are you guys in this room right now, you're really good at shortcuts. I'm really good at shortcuts. Ben's really good at shortcuts. It's just true. Um, and this is how our shortcuts go. You want to hear how our shortcuts go? We generally say things like this. If I just, then this would happen. If I just, if I just had more money, then I wouldn't have to worry as much. If I just got married, then my life would feel full. If I just, if I just had a new roommate, then, um, you know, my apartment would be cleaner and my life would be easier, right? If I just, then, if we could just make sure that we were, uh, you know, that we had a few extra hours in the day, then, then I wouldn't feel so stressed. If I just went on this trip, just took four days, then I'd have all of life figured out. If I just then these are shortcuts. We take shortcuts. They're little transactions. They're little justifications. Their behavior changes is what they are. If I just change a certain part of my behavior, then everything would be pretty good. Everything would be all right. It's a shortcut. We do shortcuts in life too. Let's talk about, um, let's talk about some of the things that are going on in the news. If I just... Um, if, I just, uh, if we just said that refugees weren't allowed in, in, in this country, then, then we'd be safe. Or if we just decided to keep all Muslims out, even though that's a Trump thing, it, we'd all be all right, right? That's, that's what we say. If we just then, so instead of doing like the hard work of actually like 
figuring out who people are and, and, and you know, setting up ways that we can invest and take care of and help and all the rest and then, and then using those parameters that we have to keep us safe. Instead of doing that, all that hard work, that's hard growth work. Instead of doing it, what we do is if we just do this, we just keep them out, then we'll be safe. It's a shortcut. It's a justification. It's a transaction. That's what it is. Spiritual life. This is where we do the big shortcuts in our spiritual life. When I was dating Juby, some of you guys know, like, uh, Juby's parents didn't want us to get married because I'm white. And so, uh, so I would pray. I would pray every day. And I would, I would, I would read Psalm 25. And I'm older, you know. I'm, I'm, I'm in my 20s at this point. And every day I would read Psalm 25. And eventually there came to this place in my mind, this, this thing where if I read Psalm 25 every day, then, then we'll get married. Then God will bless this marriage. It became like this, uh, this, this behavior, this habit that I had. And that's what we do when it comes to our faith. We do these little transactions, these justifications, these shortcuts. If I just stop partying so much, then God will love me. If I, if, I, if I just read and pray enough, then I'll be in good with God. Then everything will be okay. If I just, right? If, 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 I, if I just, you know, stop doing X on Saturday night, then I'll finally be at a place where I can get to church and God will finally be pleased with me. If I just say this prayer, then I know I'm guaranteed eternity. If I just, if I just repent, then I know that I'm safe. If I just repent, I know that I'm safe. I love the word repent. How many people like the word repent? You guys are, yeah, thanks. Thanks, Darian. Darian likes it. We got a little family service. Might as well ask who likes it and who doesn't. I love the word repent. I love it. It's one of my favorite words. Um, but what do we think of when we think of repent? Like right away, what comes to our mind? We're small enough. If there's something that comes to your mind, just tell me. Sin, punishment. Wow, you guys got a lot of good words. <laughs> they all came at once. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Shame and everything else. Yeah, repent. It's such a good word, though. I love this word. Um, but you know what we've done with the word repent? We've made repent the ultimate shortcut word. That's why. That's why it, it, it has bad connotations. We've made it the ultimate shortcut word. Repent has become the thing that you do, like when you pushed your sister. You repent. God, I pushed my sister. I feel shame. I feel guilt. I feel bad. I'm sorry. Now God likes me again. That's what we've made repent. How many people grew up Catholic? Anybody here grew up Catholic? A couple of you? Did you guys, were you, did you have to be going to the confessional and like say a couple Hail Marys? That probably was like repentance for you, right? Like, oh, I cheated on my math test. Good, repent by saying these three Hail Marys or whatever it might be. Repentance has this like connotation of shame and guilt and struggle and a change in behavior. It is a shortcut word. It is a word that doesn't create any spiritual growth. It's a word that stops our spiritual growth. It stops us from actually moving forward. It stops us from understanding who Jesus is. It stops us from being a part of the kingdom of God. Today is the day in every Advent. I, this is like my, we do this every Advent. We talk about repent. And I love preaching on it because today we, we get to continue to rescue this word, this word repent. And for those of you who remember these Advent messages I've done, we get to be reminded of what the word repent looks like. So let's talk about repent. Who's saying the word repent? Um, John the Baptist is saying the word repent, and I always like to describe John the Baptist. I think everybody knows it by this point. He was, he was uh, like a trust fund kid, okay? His dad was the, the high priest, which means he was really rich, 
all right? And as the high priest, when you're the high priest's son, you can, you know, kind of follow in those footsteps and you get to be the high priest next. And John doesn't do that. John goes off into the wilderness. He wears the camel's hair. He eats the locusts with the honey. He's a little bit crazy, crazy enough that he gets a following because we like to follow crazy people. It's true. And uh, he just starts baptizing people. He says, I'm baptizing you in the name of the one who is to come. So somebody's coming. So I say this every year. This is like the trust fund kid that goes off and follows the Grateful Dead. And then, you know, that's who this is. That's who John the Baptist is, okay? It always reminds me that God uses like the strangest people. God uses all of us. It's like a good reminder. Anyway, so, so John the Baptist is wandering around and he's saying to people, he's going, hey, repent. And he says it three times in, the pa- in, in this passage in Matthew 3. So if you guys want to check out Matthew 3 real quick, uh, you can do that. Uh, but he says it three different times. He says, repent. Um, for the kingdom of heaven has come near. That's Matthew 3, 1 through 3. Then he tells the same people, he says, I want you to produce fruit in keeping with repentance. And then finally he says, I baptize you with water for repentance. All in this passage, all in chapter 3. This is John talking to the, uh, the people in and around um, well, Judea. So it's right outside of, of, uh, it's outside of Jerusalem. And, and he's telling them to repent. So um, when I first preached this message, the first year, Somebody came up to me afterwards and he goes, great message. He goes, uh, what do I have to do? I go, what do you mean? He goes, just t- what do I have to do? Like, if, what does repent mean? What do I have to do? What do I have to do? And, uh, and I go, I'm not, I'm not tracking, man. I'm not following. And he goes, you just told me repent. What do I have to do? And in my mind, I'm just saying that because still to this day, when I read John the Baptist, when I read this passage, the first thing my mind goes to is I got to do something. That John's telling these people they have to do something too. They have to change a behavior. And maybe the behavior that they have to change is believing in Jesus because Jesus is coming. If they don't believe in Jesus, they're going to they're gonna go to hell. You know, Change that behavior. Believe. Change the way you believe. Maybe they're really bad. Maybe they're really bad people. And if they're really bad people, they're you know, up at night playing cards and dancing. I don't know. <laughs> and, uh, that's like for my youth. And so they got to change that behavior. They got to change it. That's what John is telling them to do. John the Baptist is telling them that. And I think if we're honest with ourselves, the first, the way that we read this, especially with the way we think about repentance, we read John the Baptist saying that we think they got to do something. They got to fix it. They got to do one of those shortcuts. If they just do this, then they'll be good when Jesus gets here. But we have to remember who this was written for. This was really good news, remember? This was written for a group of people who had just lost their temple. Their temple was just destroyed and and their friends and family died and the Gospel of Matthew is there to bring good news to them. So if it's there to bring good news, this has to be a good news message, okay? And so what you have is you have a group of people literally sitting in rubble, literally. And they're going, oh, if we just, if we just have followed the law a little bit better, we'd be okay, the temple would still be standing. If we just had obeyed God, God wouldn't have left us. If we just, then it's all about the behavior. And all of a sudden, John comes along and he says, repent. He says, repent, and yet this repentance is really good news, why? Let's talk about what the word repent means. Um, It's two words put together, and I'm not gonna go through the whole thing, but it basically comes out to metanoia. And metanoia means to change your heart and to change your mind. That's what repentance means. It's not a behavior fix. It's not a shortcut. It means to change your heart and to change your mind. It's the long play. It's growth. It's awkward. It's like puberty. Repentance is like going through puberty. Remember that. 
Anyway, so what does it mean? Change your heart and change your mind. John's saying, hey, hey, everybody, change your heart and change your mind. John's not saying fix your behavior so that God will love you. John's not saying that. The issue with, with, with fix your behavior and then God will love you is, is we start to inherently believe that there's a God who's up there or over there or somewhere else. And as soon as we fix this thing, as soon as we repent, that God's gonna come down and go, you know what? I didn't like you before, but you repented and I like you now. That doesn't necessarily work for me. I have kids, and when my kids do something wrong, if they say, Daddy, can I have a hug? I don't go, no. No hugs until you repent. No, it's like, that puts them in therapy for years upon years upon years. Like, that's not who our God is. Our God doesn't do that. But yeah, when we think it's about changing a behavior, what we're saying is there's a God who's over here, and when we finally get our acts right, when we finally change that one behavior, that God's gonna swoop in, and that God's gonna say, good, now I like you. Now you're good with me. I didn't like you before. I like you now. That's the issue with that kind of repentance. But if we're changing our hearts and we're changing our minds, then it looks incredibly different. So John says, hey, repent for the kingdom of heaven is near. Change your hearts, change your minds for the kingdom of heaven is near. What he's saying is not, hey, change that behavior. He's saying it's it's here. The kingdom of heaven is not in the temple that you thought it was in. It's, God is not where you thought God was in that temple. And the kingdom of heaven isn't in those 613 laws that you've been following for thousands upon thousands of years. That's not where the kingdom of heaven is. The kingdom of heaven is not in your behavior, okay? Change your heart. Change your mind. The kingdom of heaven is here right now, and you are a part of it. That's a big difference. That's a really big difference than change your behavior and believe the right thing. This is change the way you think about your life. It's no longer about following rules. It's no longer about the laws. It's part of being something that's bigger and more infinite and more inconceivable than you can imagine. Can you begin to change your heart and mind? That's what John is saying. Change your heart and mind and produce, you know, he says produce fruit in keeping with repentance. So produce fruit in keeping with the changing of your heart and your mind. That's what he's saying. So he's not saying, hey, double down on the law. Do what's right and you'll be okay. No, he's not saying that. He's saying, if your heart and mind begins to change about how inconceivable and how infinite and how big God is, all of a sudden you're gonna start to produce fruit that way. All of a sudden you're gonna start to love people in ways you've never loved them before. And instead of looking for a Messiah who you know, is gonna lead a revolt and print their own money and be a brutal, ruthless warlord, you're gonna start you know, looking for the Messiah who, who's gonna help you love your enemy. You're gonna start you know, meeting together. You're gonna start uh, fulfilling one another's needs. You're gonna start making sure everybody has what they need. You're gonna start talking about grace in different ways. You're gonna start to become selfless. That's what's gonna happen. That's the fruit that you're gonna start to produce when you change your heart and you change your mind. This is not a double down on the law. This is changing who you are. Repent, produce fruit in keeping with repentance. And then finally, he says, you know, I baptize with you with water to signify repentance. I baptize you with water to signify the changing of your heart and mind. So this is big, right? Because I think in some situations we say that, that there's a God, you know, they need to be baptized. If they're not baptized, God goes, you're not baptized, you're going to hell. You know, like before, you know, like before you were over here and then you got dunked in some water. Now you're over here and you're good. No, if you're baptized, because you've changed your hearts and changed your minds, what you're saying is you're saying, I've grown in such a way where I publicly believe, I absolutely believe that there is a new way to do life. 
I absolutely believe that there is a God at work in the most inconceivable, infinite ways, more than I could even ask or imagine, and I want to show that publicly. I, if, if I'm going to be mikvah, which was the Jewish way that you were baptized, if I'm going to be mikvah, I'm doing it because I'm saying, I'm not following the law. I'm following a God who is at work in me and in you and in my enemies and in everybody right here at this point through thousands of years. This is incredible. And for that reason, I publicly am baptized. I re- I, when, I, when I'm baptized in repentance, I'm baptized to show you my heart and my mind have changed. That's what it is. It's not about behavior. It's not about 613 laws. It's about a changing of your heart and your mind. This is good news. This is really good news, really good news. So there's two things that we have to do with this really good news. There's two things that we have to do with repentance, all right? The first thing is we actually have to believe that there is a God that's not over there and we're down here. My daughter, um, Daddy, you know, where's, is, is God in heaven? And I said, yeah, God's in heaven. And she goes, but I thought God was in my heart. And I was like, God's also in your heart. She goes, nah. Like, you know, I, I think we have this idea that God can only, that God's over here, right? God can only be in this one spot, you know? And we have to change the way we think about that. We sing songs about it. You guys remember, like, you came from heaven to earth to show, right? But from the cross to the grave, from the grave to the sky, God's now gone off to the sky, and, and yeah, and now, okay, all right, where are you? Like, just come and fix something. We have to believe that God is here, here, right now, working in the most inconceivable, infinite, unimaginable ways. How do we do that? Uh, how many people took the subway this morning? How many of you? All right, a few of you took the subway. Uh, how many of you got caught on, with like the weekend subway construction stuff? Anybody? Weekend? How many people like the subway on the weekends? Let me ask that question. No, no hands are raised. That's right. Uh, a couple weeks ago, I was at J Street Metro Tech with my kids. It was like 10 p.m., and I was waiting for the F train, and I, I, I looked at my watch, and I was like, I've been waiting for 15 minutes. Like, I've been waiting for 15 minutes for this F train with my kids. And I, I was waiting, right? And I was waiting underground in a really, like, safe, giant space underground where above me were eight and a half million people and skyscrapers, but I was underground. I was so angry because I was waiting for 15 minutes for the subway. And... I did what we all do. You know what we all do. We all look down at the tracks, see if it's like this. I did one of those. I was like, and I looked at the tracks and uh, those tracks, right? The tracks where if you put all the tracks together uh, in New York City, uh, all those tracks would stretch for a thousand miles from New York to Chicago. And I looked at those tracks that would stretch from New York to Chicago, a thousand miles. And I looked at them and I was like, where is this stupid F train? I've been waiting for 15 minutes. 15 minutes for this F train along with every other train in New York City that if you combine the miles that they travel in a year, travel 344.9 million miles. They could go to the sun and back in one year. All the trains put together, the amount of miles they travel. And I was like, this stupid train. 15 minutes, I can't believe this. And I looked at the other people and the other people were like this. Looking around, looking at you know, see people do that. And I looked at all of us and I said, you know, we are some of the 1.7 billion riders who will ride this train this year. That's 20% of the world's population will get on the New York City subway. And I was like, this stupid train will not come. What's my point in all this? 
the fact that I'm sitting underground waiting for this train is an absolute miracle. When you think about what it's capable of and what it does, it is an absolute miracle. And forgive me for the stretch in this illustration, but when I think about God, and when I think about the way that God's at work, I have to imagine that God is at work right underneath the surface, right underneath of a city of eight and a half million people with towering skyscrapers above, constantly at work in the most miraculous, incredible of ways. And I'm way too focused on the 15-minute train rather than the miracle of what's happening. Repentance is looking at this whole thing like a miracle, that there is a God at work in all of it. So every relationship, whether it's broken or being fixed or you feel like it's beyond repair or whatever, there's a God at work to redeem that relationship. Every, every job, every opportunity that you have, every time you converse with somebody else, that is an opportunity for redemption, for God to be at work. The fact that we don't understand something as giant as our universe and we don't understand something as small as an atom shows me that God is at work in incredible ways right underneath the surface, constantly working, constantly pushing, constantly pulling, creating miracles in this city of eight and a half million people. I have to stop believing. If we repent, we change our hearts and minds about believing that God's somewhere else somewhere over here. That's what it is. Here's the second thing. Repentance does not mean we are let off the hook. Because I said it's not about changing behavior, right? And I don't believe that. I don't believe that. Repentance isn't about being let off the hook. It's not like, man, Jonathan just told me it's about a change of heart and mind. I believe that God's everywhere. Great, I'm just gonna do whatever I feel like doing. Just going to be selfish. I think when there's a change in your heart and your mind, what that change does, what that change does, it, it produces within you uh, the love of Christ. When it produces within you the love of Christ, then you make this simple move. It's a simple move from self, uh, selfish to being selfless, selfish to selfless. It's a move that happens when you recognize that Christ is at work in your life, and that you start to work and look like Christ. From selfish to selfless. So. Take something like, uh, like, you know, earlier I said we don't like growth. I said we don't like, we don't like that growth. We like to skip it. And some of us probably went, oh, no, I, I really push and I push hard and I, I work hard and I, I'm passionate and all this. Do we work hard? Do we push hard? Are we passionate when it comes to just us and our dreams, what we are interested in? Or do we push and, and move and try to grow for humanity, for the better? Because if we're going to repent, change our hearts and our minds, then we are compelled to move beyond ourselves, beyond the selfish, to the selfless. I think about our church community, and I think about the way that we operate, and today a lot of people are gone for Christmas, and that's great. I'm really happy they are. I'm happy that they're going. But I think sometimes when we think about the selfish, we go, I love my church community. I'm gonna, I'm gonna show up at like 1027. That'll be cool. I'll still make it for half of the service. I get to sleep in, and I still get to go to brunch. Or, ah, oh man, look at those people who are they're doing such a good job. They volunteer. Uh, they're doing a good job. They're volunteering. I'm not going to worry about it. But if we're changing our hearts and are changing our minds, then we're moving beyond the selfish to the selfless, which says, how do I, how do I impact my church community? How does my church community grow? How, how do I help my church community to grow when I decide that I'm going to put my side, my, myself aside and move in and move forward and get better? How does that look? Moving from selfish to selfless means that, uh, you know, even people we might not agree with or people that don't fit our worldview or our schema, we decide, you know what, I'm going to work to be with this person. I'm going to work to have a conversation with this person. I'm going to work to get to know this person because this is what it means to be a part of a bigger picture, a bigger kingdom. 
Being, uh, moving from selfish to selfless means that we beat our swords into plowshares even though it's not the most popular thing to do or the thing that we necessarily want to do. It means that we decide that we're not going to be about revenge, we're going to be about peace. That's a difficult thing right now. Selfish to selfless. When we change our hearts and we change our minds, we believe that there's a God at work doing miracles. We believe that we're a part of the miracles. And when we take the focus off of us, we see how God continues to use us and work within us. This week, Jesus is born. Jesus comes, right? And there's John in the wilderness saying, repent, repent. And here's the one thing I want you to take away. If you don't take away anything else, take this away. Take away the fact that Jesus, or that John's not asking us to repent so that God can change our minds about us. John's asking us to repent so that we change our minds about the holiness of God. So that we can listen to this voice in the desert so that we can hear John saying, prepare the way of the Lord, and so that this week we can see fully the miracle of Jesus Christ working just underneath the surface. Amen? Heavenly Father, uh, thank you for today. Thank you for your son. Thank you that we get to celebrate. Thank you that we get to rest because of your son. Thank you that... um, that you allow us repentance, the awkward, weird, growing, taking focus off of us repentance, the the repentance that tells us that you're not far away, that you're here. Uh, Lord, uh, continue to to move us that we would change our hearts and minds and grow about who you are uh, and what you can do in this world and how we can be a part of it. Lord, when we um, fall, we are just so thankful for uh, your everlasting grace, the grace of Jesus Christ who comes and who is and who is to come. I pray this in your name. Amen.